Hey friends, how are you? Merry Christmas! It was just Christmas a few days ago, um, so when I'm recording this. So I have to say Merry Christmas, and it was an awesome Christmas. I hope you had a great Christmas too. Ours was super fun. And as I look back on it, I think I have to say what brought me the most joy this Christmas was when Margo and Gus opened their presents from Nana which Nana is my mom. I'm Grammy. She's Nana. So Margo and Gus, um, Nana gave them uh, astronaut costumes or outfits and a tent rocket ship. And Margo is right now really into outer space. So I thought this would be a great gift for them. And so they're in California. So we were watching this uh, through FaceTime. We weren't with them, which I think is kind of cool that my favorite moment of Christmas was through FaceTime. So, you know, could I be sad that we weren't together? I could have been, but instead, truly, this was just the most fun moment because we're watching them open the costumes and put them on in front of us, and it had, like, a, a big helmet. It was great. And then in the background, we can see Wes putting, he had the, the this, like, tent thing on his head. He's standing up with the tent covering him that is a rocket ship putting it together. It was just really fun. And of course they were really excited and they put on their outfits and they got in the rocket ship and then Margot counted down five, four, three, two, one, blast off. And Sam was like, where are you going, Margot? And she's like, um, I'm going to Mercury. Margot is about to turn five, by the way. Um, and then they like, you know, Wes made the rocket ship move around and then they got out and she like walked like she was walking on the moon or something. It was so cute and it was super fun. So that was my favorite moment of Christmas. I hope you had a joyful Christmas as well. Um, And I do want to say just like a kind of pause in all the fun of Christmas and recognize that it's been a difficult December for a lot of people. I don't know about you. I have run into a lot of people personally who are just having a really hard time, a lot of sorrow and loss this December. And even though I like to celebrate the joy and the fun and share that with everyone and hopefully encourage people with that, I also recognize that it hasn't been all joyful and fun. And I wish I could give you a hug. I wish I could sit and listen to you. And I guess my prayer for those who are sorrowing right now is that you have someone in your life who is sitting in front of you and just listening because I think that's the best we can offer when you're going through a hard time instead of advice to just listen. Or maybe God's calling you to be that listener for someone else. But obviously, I can't listen to you through the podcast, even though I wish I could. Instead, I hope I can offer you encouragement of a different kind today. And so, of course, that leads me to a story that I want to share with you. A classic Christmas story from the Barry family. That's my maiden name, by the way, Barry. So here's the classic story. You probably have a story like this in your family, too. My oldest brother, Jordy, when I think he was four in this story, but I don't remember exactly. I wasn't there, but um, or maybe I was a baby. But the classic story goes that when he was four, he gave my dad for Christmas a yo-yo and was so excited to give him this gift. 
that was for dad. So dad opens it and it's like, oh, wow. And in classic, if you knew my dad, you would know he would be like this. He's like, oh, wow. Thanks, Jordy. This is the best yo-yo ever, you know, and loves it. And so then we started calling that a yo-yo gift, which sounds like, you know, it's so classic because it was literally a yo-yo, but what does a yo-yo do? It like goes out and comes back to you. So just like Jordy gave him a gift that really he wanted, right? I mean, the classic little kid story. It's just a funny story from when I was little that we would always talk about and call something a yo-yo gift when it was like the giver liked it better than the receiver, even though we weren't talking about it's coming back to you. We were talking about Jordy giving the yo-yo. So if that makes sense. But anyway, I was just thinking about that classic story and about gift giving in general, obviously, because we just said Christmas. But I also was thinking about this whole idea of how we give gifts because it helped me understand a verse I just happened upon in Ephesians 5, a verse that made me pause and ponder. This is Pause and Ponder with Susie Weber. Thanks again for joining me as today we ponder what it means to please the Lord. Okay, so I was reading Ephesians 5 the other morning, and I came across this little nugget that, as usual, made me pause. Here's where the verse was. So a few verses before it, in Ephesians 5, it says this, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So, so far, it's been, and before this in Ephesians 5, it's talking about, you know, once you were this, and now you're this. So we were supposed to be changed. And then it says this, And this is what made me pause. And I explained that to say, this is instruction given to those who are following Christ. The next verse says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Ah, yes, we are actually supposed to make an effort. It said, try. Other versions say, find out, figure out what pleases God. So, Why did I pause there? Well, it just happens to be a little pet peeve of mine when people say, oh no, you can't please God. We aren't supposed to try to please God. And you know what? I even um, looked up this try to please the Lord and the first several uh, articles that came up when I searched it were all about, no, no, you can't please God. And of course, what they mean is God couldn't possibly love you more. He already loves you completely, so you can't do anything to make him love you more. And that is, of course, true. But this is where I have the pet peeve. If When we dismiss this whole idea of trying to please God, we lose something. You know, maybe I paused on this verse the other day because I've been rereading the book, The Cost of Discipleship by um, Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Great fantastic book. And I had been meaning to reread it for a while now, actually, like over a year, but I couldn't find it on our bookshelf. And then guess what happened? We just painted Kate's room recently. So we had to remove everything from her room and put it in another room. And as I was putting it all back after it got painted, which love that we painted it, um, I found my copy of The Cost of Discipleship. It had somehow ended up in Kate's room. So anyway, 
I started rereading it. Um, and I just love how Bonhoeffer explains this very thing. He says this trap of legalism is a sneaky one. He says it can be legalistic to say you have to do this list of things to be saved. And that's probably like more of the traditional understanding of legalism. You have to do these things or you're not really saved. And yes, that's legalism. But what he focuses on is that there is a form of legalism that says you must rely on grace alone and therefore you can do nothing. And he says, this is legalism as well, and it's an excuse to just stay the way you are. And he specifically calls it cheap grace. And I guess I just paused because it's verses like this, this um, try to discern what is pleasing the Lord. Clearly, we are supposed to try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, not um, accept this idea of, oh no, you can't please God. I guess it made me pause because it, it speaks against this this whole idea of a cheap grace that doesn't try to please God. So what is, what is he talking about? Here's a quote from um, The Cost of Discipleship, and all of these quotes are just from chapter one. So if you wanted to look it up, everything is, it, just the first chapter alone is worth reading. So anyway, he says this about cheap grace. Cheap grace means justification of sin without justification of the sinner. Grace alone does everything, they say and so everything can remain as it was before. The world goes on in the same old way, and we are still sinners, quote, even in the best life, as Luther said, meaning Martin Luther. Bonhoeffer goes on, well then, let the Christian live like the rest of the world. Let him model himself on the world's standards in every sphere of life, and not presumptuously aspire to live a different life under grace from his old life under sin. And he goes on to say that what I just said is heresy. And then he explains true grace, which he calls costly grace. So what I first described was what Bonhoeffer calls cheap grace. This, you know, grace alone does everything and you can't do anything. You can't add to it. That this is just an excuse to keep living the same way. And he goes on to describe costly grace. He says, this isn't a quote, this is me summarizing. Costly grace means not earning salvation. So it's, it's not about earning salvation, but recognizing that saying yes to Jesus isn't just recognizing intellectually who he is and what he's done, but saying yes to him as being a part of our everyday life right now, our right now life. Here's how he says it. This is the quote. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. So that's the difference between cheap grace and costly grace, according to Bonhoeffer. But he goes, this book is really heavy, and he goes super deep into this subject. So he starts to delve into how did this happen? How did we as the church, the body of believers, go from understanding grace to um, rationalizing grace as this cheap grace? And he says this, The justification of the sinner in the world degenerated into the justification of sin and the world. Costly grace was turned into cheap grace without discipleship, and thus why he calls the book The Cost of Discipleship. 
He summarizes this whole attitude of cheap grace this way. The upshot of it all is that my only duty as a Christian is to leave the world for an hour or so on a Sunday morning and go to church to be assured that my sins are forgiven. I need no longer try to follow Christ. For cheap grace, the bitterest foe of discipleship, which true discipleship must loathe and detest, cheap grace has freed me from all that. And so then he goes on to summarize costly grace this way. The only man who has the right to say that he is justified by grace alone is the man, or I would say woman, the man who has left all to follow Christ. Such a man knows that the call to discipleship is a gift of grace, and the call is inseparable from the grace. But those who try to use this grace as a dispensation from following Christ are simply deceiving themselves. So, that's enough about Bonhoeffer. Hopefully you uh, <laughs> you will indulge me in giving you all of those quotes. It is heavy reading, but I think that was just the background information to um, the, the, the background theology, I guess you'd say, to what struck me when I read this verse, just this one little verse, given to believers, given to people who have chosen to follow Christ, and given as instruction. Hey, you're following Christ? Well, you make sure you're doing these things. Make sure you're walking as children of light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So we have to ask ourselves, what is pleasing to God? And then it's implied and then do it, right? I mean, don't just figure it out and be like, that's nice, God, that that pleases you, but actually obey and do it. And like we said, it's not to make God love you more. He couldn't love you more but it's to grow our love for him. You know, it was just Christmas, and I sort of hinted at this in my story in the beginning when I talked about my brother giving a yo-yo to my dad. I think it lends a good analogy, giving gifts at Christmas, to this idea of pleasing God. So let's just back up for a second before we examine this verse and consider a little analogy. What kind of shopper are you? What kind of gift giver? Do you make a list and feel burdened like, okay, I have to get gifts for all these people? You know, I confess I am not the biggest gift giver, so it's tempting for me to think this way. Like, all right, I got to check these off. I have to get these gifts. But that's not what I'm trying to do. I try to take time to think, what would this person want for Christmas? You know, what would make them happy? What would make them excited to open this gift? And really... What will make them feel loved and special? Like I gave the, well, I, Nana gave them, but I picked them out for her to give those astronaut costumes for Margot and Gus. You know, I knew that Margot would be excited about it and that Gus would want one too. You know, sometimes I guess right. I think I got it right that time. But other times I miss, and that's why I usually say, you know, you can return it as they rip the paper open. But as we say, it's the thought that counts in gift giving, Right? I think we can apply the same thought process to this try to discern what pleases the Lord. After all, the thought process in, into choosing Christmas gifts could it be explained as what will please this person. And I think it's kind of mean to get gifts that I think they need but they don't really want, right? No one wants a dieting book for Christmas. And if a husband buys his wife a garbage disposal for Christmas, someone is going to give him a hard time. 
unless she comes to his defense and says, no, 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 I really wanted it. But back to the point, instead of this being about getting someone to love you more, trying to discern what would please them is is about expressing my love for them. And there's the analogy. The same is true about, about discerning what will please the Lord. It's not about him loving us more. It's about us expressing our love for him. Except for one thing. Unlike those Christmas gifts, we don't have to guess what will please the Lord. So now we finally get to the verse. Try to discern what pleases the Lord. How do we do that? How do we discern what pleases the Lord? I think there's two ways. Number one, we can easily look up verses and take note when it specifically says this pleases the Lord, which we're going to talk about in a second. And number two, listen to the Holy Spirit, as in listening to God and realizing this is something God wants me to do. It doesn't mean everyone has to do it. We need to avoid the pitfall of judging others too. And it doesn't mean I earn any favor. I'm just doing it because I feel led by the Spirit to do it, and I want to obey and please God. It could be anything. It could be calling someone, texting them. It could be turning off the TV. It could be reading a certain book or volunteering for something. However the Spirit is leading you. There is obedience to that. And then there is also just the attitude of, Lord, how can I please you today? So those are the two ways I see of um, applying this verse, of trying to discern what pleases the Lord. First, just look it up in the Bible. Make a a Christmas list, so to speak, a gift list. This is what will please God. And secondly, be sensitive and listening to the Lord as he's guiding you each day. So, can you think of any? Take a second and just think of what verses do you know in Scripture. You don't have to have it memorized, but what comes to mind in places in the Bible where it says, this pleases the Lord. Here's what I thought of off the top of my head. Well, I know faith pleases God because Hebrews 11.6, I think it is, Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So faith pleases God. A broken and contrite spirit and generally humility pleases God. And we know that he resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humility, faith. The first one I thought of actually was um, from the passage about a submissive wife that a gentle and quiet spirit, it says, this greatly pleases the Lord. And then Solomon, when he asks for wisdom, that pleases God. And there's a verse about a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, that the sacrifice of bulls doesn't please him, but a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving pleases the Lord. So those were the ones that I thought of. But then I started looking up verses of where it says that things please God to make a list. Because this is a way that I can try to discern what pleases God. So here comes the list from scripture. First, first one I want to mention is when Paul uh, in 2 Timothy explains how we are to try to please God. Like with what kind of effort. And he says, just as a soldier tries to please his commanding officer, that's how we're supposed to try to please God. So soldiers, you know, they obey immediately. They are focused They don't get distracted. So that's how we do it. But the first one I found to put on our list of what pleases God is God is pleased with integrity. First Chronicles 29, 17 says, I know also, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. And this uprightness of heart 
is what we would call integrity. That's from a prayer David was praying. And I love this one because integrity is one of my favorite words. So it makes me think of how important it is to be honest with God and honest with people. And it also makes me think of how much God hates hypocrisy. So integrity, integrity pleases God. And if you find that convicting, the next one is reassuring. God is pleased when the wicked turn from their ways. So turning away from evil pleases God. That's from Ezekiel. Do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord, rather that he would turn from his ways and live. Turning from evil pleases God. I hope that's a source of comfort, that if we feel condemned by sin in our life, or, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that again, or how did I get to this place, that when we're sitting in that, maybe wallowing in it, Hopefully, it turns our hearts back to God that when we turn from our wicked ways, it pleases the heart of God. Just like that prodigal son, when he you know, turned towards home, the father ran out to meet him. That's how much it pleases God when we turn from sin. And he'll even help us, right? All we have to do is confess it. And he, help, he takes it away and gives us that new heart. So, integrity and turning from our wicked ways, please God. What else? God is pleased with our prayers, the prayer of the upright, it says in Proverbs 15, and also when we pray for others. Our prayer pleases God. And here's a big one, especially right now as we are about to come into January and set goals for the new year, or really any time of year, this is a good one. God is pleased when we grow in our knowledge of him. That's from Colossians 1.10. God is pleased when we grow in knowledge of him, which of course makes me think of reading our Bible, right? Taking time to read and study God's word. Maybe it's a good time to set some goals for the new year. What's your plan? What's your plan for your devotions this year? Maybe this verse from Ephesians, try to discern what pleases the Lord, maybe that can help us um, set our goals in a different way. And instead of saying, this is what works for me about our devotion time, we say, first, Lord, what would please you in what I'm reading in the Bible? What would please you about when I do my devotions or how long? Or, you know, all the things about it. Let's sit and ask God. I want to grow in knowledge of you, and I want to please you. What do you want me to do, Lord? And then, of course, give me the strength and the faithfulness to follow through with that plan. Try to discern what pleases the Lord. Growing in knowledge of him pleases him. Next on the list, God is pleased. Maybe you thought of this verse. God is pleased when we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2, another favorite verse of mine. It says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. And then it says, this is holy and pleasing to God. So it pleases God when we do this. And this, this is like, it includes all kinds of things, right? Offering our bodies to God. Let's just take it literally for a second, practically. What do you want me to do physically today, Lord? I'm offering that to you. What work do you have for my physical body today? Where do you want me to go with this body of mine? 
What should I put in my body today? These are all ways to offer our bodies to God. I think often we look at that verse as offering our whole life to God. But maybe just thinking about, you know, what I'm doing with this body of mine today and offering that to God, that that pleases God when we offer it to him. It's just one way to look at complete surrender and think about what will please you, Jesus. All right, what else do we put on this list of what pleases God? Well, there are a bunch of things to put on the list that we could kind of group together as in how we interact with others. How we interact with others, God has some things to say about that, and there are ways we interact with others that please him. Romans 14 is all about giving preference to others. When they, you know, this is where it says, don't make your brother stumble. So make choices, even when you know, you know, God isn't telling me not to do this, but it's going to make someone else stumble. So I'm going to um, love this other person by giving preference to them. That pleases God. It says, whoever serves Christ in this way, in the way described in Romans 14, about giving preference to others and not making them stumble, Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God. And what else? God is pleased when we are generous with others. When we are generous with money, supporting those in ministry. You know, it says we're to be cheerful givers to the church. And uh, giving to support the body of Christ. Generosity is pleasing to God. And God is pleased when we invest in our family relationships, our physical blood family relationships, caring for the elderly and obeying and honoring parents. Both of these situations, uh, the Bible tells us, is specifically pleasing to God. And I think that brings it back to the motivation. We love our family in order to please God, not for receiving a reward from those people. You know, that helps so much when things go unacknowledged. It guards us against bitterness and really selfishness that we make efforts to love our family and serve them because we love God, not for the gratitude we receive or maybe don't receive. But our joy can stay the same because we're motivated to extend that love to them in order to please God. So that's a great guard against bitterness. So there you go, a list right from scripture on what pleases God. And we are to make every effort to try to discern what pleases God. But I guess, you know, it's not so much in the figuring it out as it is in figuring out how to obey it. Thank God we don't have to do any of these things in our own strength. But we can even ask him to help us, just like the little kid who buys a present for his mom and dad with mom and dad's money. They're so sure they are giving this gift themselves. They get so proud and so excited, the little two- or three-year-old who says, Here, Mom, here's my gift for you, when the whole thing has been orchestrated by the parents, right? And yet the parents love that gift, as if they didn't take the kid to the store themselves and pay for it themselves and maybe even wrap it themselves. They even thank their little two-year-old cherub, and they really mean it. In the same way, God himself writes this gift list of what will please him, and supplies all the resources to produce these gifts in us to present to himself. So, let's think over that list as a place to start, as a place to apply this verse of Ephesians 5.10. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. There was integrity, honesty, faithfulness, transparency. There was turning away from sin, giving praise and thanks, 
Prayer pleases God. Growing in our knowledge of Him, including a commitment to read and study Scripture. Or love for others in different ways, giving up our own preference, sharing our resources, how we love our families. And then remember the ones that I said in the beginning that I thought of first, faith. Simply saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm stepping out and trusting you in this new way pleases God. Asking for wisdom pleases God. Being in a place of brokenness pleases God. So what about you as I read through that list of what pleases God? What's on God's Christmas gift list to you? Did one stand out? I'll tell you for myself, growing in the knowledge of him stood out that I felt that as the new year comes, maybe this is a year where I want to read through the whole Bible in a year. I haven't done that in a while. One of those read the Bible in a year plans. So that's what I'm going to offer up to God this year. And I know it's going to be a gift back to me even more. But what about you? What gift are you going to offer to God to please him? I pray that each of us will be prompted today in some specific way, a specific way to ask God to help us to offer up something that will make him smile, that will please him, just because we love him. Thanks for sticking with me through a heady subject. It is profound, but it can also be as simple as asking, Heavenly Father, help me and show me how to love you today. May that be on our lips and hearts. Till next time. Thank you.